Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Scary Questions. We return this year with numerous haunting stories about personal experiences of our past guests. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this episode. What you're about to hear are true and interesting stories from our community, stories that are shared within Native America and within our communities that have been going on for generations. So sit back, try to relax, and enjoy these stories. Begin tonight with a story from Bobby Wilson, who, while painting a mural in Minneapolis, realizes he wasn't quite alone. Uh, God, I don't know how long ago it was uh, that I did this, but uh, it definitely had to be around the 2010 era. I was painting a mural in South Minneapolis on Franklin Avenue at the Minnesota Chippewa Tribes building. Uh, it's a really public, high-traffic wall, and one of the things that I love the most about painting in public like that is the people that you meet, because folks will stop by, and they have various degrees of interaction with you. People will come up, and they'll be like, oh, I really like what you're doing, or, you know, hey, don't mind me, you know, or they'll ask you some questions about the paint, you whatever. Uh, I was painting the wall, and this guy with a super thick accent came out, and he was like he was a brown dude i don't know where he was from but you know he had a a a south of the border accent my man uh and he comes over and he's like i really like this i'm not gonna try to do the accent okay i'm not gonna do it uh and he's like i really like what you're doing and i said hey thanks man and he's like um and he was struggling to like kind of find words he asked me he he essentially asked me how long i was going to be there i said i'm gonna be here all day uh, probably till the sun goes down and so he said okay and he came back he said he was going to come back with his family to to talk it's like all right whatever man look cool uh, and sometimes you know i was wondering like maybe if they were going to try to hire me for a thing uh because that happens too and so some time goes by and this minivan shows up 
with just like all these like multi-generational brown family who have like a latinx accent of some kind and this older woman comes over to me and they're all wearing this t-shirt an airbrush t-shirt of a man who had died and i was like oh whoa and she comes over to me and she says that her son died and that um they wanted to have somebody do a painting of him uh and i said well yeah yeah i do stuff like that i'd be down for that you know when do you need it by uh you know we can work something out for this and then she says uh well this is the thing i want to do a painting of him where he died i said oh shit okay um yeah let's talk uh and I never, I never looked it up or, you know, it was a different time. I didn't have like Google in my pocket or anything, but the, this family, they asked me, this man, her son had died at a bridge at the University of Minnesota in a, a kind of West Bank area. And that bridge, you know, it's a steep drop down to the Mississippi River. I didn't ask for details. She just said that that's where he had died. And a, a good friend of mine, because Graffiti World's pretty small, already had a piece painted down there. And now Graffiti Rules, you don't go over somebody's piece. You don't do it. But I know this guy, so I asked him. I told him the story. I said, hey, this, uh, this lady wants me to paint the piece down there. And your piece is here now. Like, is, do I have your permission to paint a portrait of her son here? He's like, hell yeah, do it. So I told this lady, I said, I can do it. I'm going to, I have a plan, I have a sketch, I have the picture that you've given me of him. I'm going to go down there uh, tonight, and I'm going to be there probably until 4 a.m. I'm going to try to make it 3 a.m., but the, uh, if I'm really into it, I might, I might lose track. I said, I just want you to know, I'm going to try to call you in the morning when it's done. But if you don't hear from me, then that means that I got caught down there. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we're at. And she said, no, 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 no. You will not get caught. There will be no problems for you there. Because my son will be watching over you. And the angels that are with him will watch over you. No one will see you, she said. And she really, you know, grabbed my hand like that. And I said, and she was really looking me, you know, deep in my eyes. And I said, okay, this is the mission. And, you know, thank you. I didn't tell her I'm not no Christian. I don't be doing angels and stuff like that. But I sure as hell am an Indian. And so thank you for that blessing. So I went down there and I was painting, you know, low light. I got my tiny little headlamp on. But even that, you don't want to attract any attention to yourself, you know. There's a bit of light behind me from the lights that are on the bridge. And some a shadow walks by. And I hear the footsteps. And I fucking just start running. I was like, shit. I, I grabbed my bag. I, you know, back then I could really just grab my bag and in one swoop be 
be gone, you know? And so I did, I went for the move and then I, I like looked back and I didn't hear nothing because when it's a cop, they'll be like, stop right there, stop right there. They really make themselves known. They don't just try to ninja on you, you know? So I was like, okay. I was like, is anybody in here? Anybody out here? And I didn't see anything. It's just dark back there. I looked down the ledge. Mississippi's way down there, bro. Man, up high. But I've been on this bridge my whole life. You know, I'm not scared of it. So I was like, okay, I'm just tripping. I'm just seeing things. Go back to painting. And then it happens again a little bit time later. Slow shadow goes by like this. And I got, you know, I jumped for a second and I looked back and there wasn't nothing. So I looked at that picture. By now, you know, I'm well into painting the portrait of this man who, who died here at this spot. And I said, okay, I think that's you. And you know why I'm doing this, because I talked to your mom. So let's let's do this, huh? Let's just keep this going. Let's get this done. So I painted it. I was so I was happy with it. I was proud of it. I made it out just fine, got myself a cup of coffee, called his mama, I said, it's done, it's down there, and I'm proud of the work that I did last night. I said, let me know when you want to meet up. She said she was, I said, I'm not going to charge you anything, but she said, we're going to meet up and she's going to give me something, you know, so I said, okay, I'm going to get some sleep and then I'll see you in the afternoon. So I met up with her at a Super America parking lot that afternoon. And she was, you know, she was really grateful. They had had this really beautiful time as a family. They went down there and her daughter had took a picture of her on their little digital camera. And I told her, I was like, I just want to share this with you because I know that you're a spiritual woman. I know that you gave me that blessing. You know, I told her the story about the shadow and I said, I believe that that was your son. You know, I don't want to talk out of turn in your life here, but this is just my experience. And I thought maybe you would appreciate that story. And she was flipping out. She started saying something in her language. And then her daughter comes over, you know, she's got a cigarette in her mouth and shit. And she's like, got the uh the the phone or the camera in her hand and they run over and she said we saw we took a picture of it down there and we saw uh, a spot a sunspot and i was like oh okay let's see it and uh the picture is his mother the woman there was had her hand on his face on the painting and behind her was a flat out shape of a human, bald human man, looked just like his profile. His whole family was just like, you know, I was on the floor. I said, oh my freaking God, like, you know, beautiful, beautiful. So, you know, that's my Halloween story. It's a little bit, it's a little bit uplifting, maybe. I don't know, whatever. If he was trying to get scared, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm not Ari Aster, okay? Yeah. Well, ride, ride the rainbow, guys. Enjoy it. 
artist Kevin Poyer isn't the only one that realizes he's not alone in his studio. I, I try not to be scared by things because, you know, I, I know them spirits are around. and and But in my studio, um, there's always something that kind of makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Um, it might be like a... Um, um, like a piece of my work will be moved or, or I'll, I'll put a piece, uh, one of my tools down and it will be laying there at, at, a, at an angle where it's balanced. It could only be put there by someone who was trying to put it there, you know, and balance it in a certain way. And, and I can't believe all this is by accident. And I remember I had a cat, a, a studio cat that would, sit and watch me work all the time and and all of a sudden I heard I I felt something more like in my studio and and I turned around and my cat turned around and we both were looking at the door and 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 we stared at the door and then we both looked at each other at the same time like did you see that (laughs) and you know it's like I I try not to be scared because I don't think nothing's there to hurt me and I think it's just something there to show me that they're there uh, or make me aware, you know, and, and I was always told to pay attention to everything, you know, to, from little things to a sound or a feeling. So I don't know if that's scary, but um, my studio can be scary sometimes. (laughs) It's cool. You ought to come visit sometime. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, stay warm, stay safe. (laughs) Artist Tina Tavera explains that some dreams are more complicated than they seem. One day I woke up with a nightmare and, and I described it to my husband, to Javier, and I was terrified. I would, I couldn't at the time I couldn't breathe. I mean, it was, I could see some sort of, I would say paranormal or supernatural, um, maybe a ghost or something like that in, in my dream. And I could see it cross the room and then it came up alongside the bed and it came up on top of me. And I woke up from the fear, which you often do when you have a terrifying nightmare, but it was taking my breath out of my mouth like it had the form of somewhat human but you know it was um sucking the breath out of me and I tried to wake up my husband and I was trying to grab his arm but I was completely frozen because there's a sense of paralysis and and it was this kind of otherworldly um sort of creature that had invaded me and it was so incredibly realistic and I felt that the sense of being awake while it still was occurring and so when I described this to him and he's from Mexico he said that it was very common I I had never heard of you know it was it's like that the death 
has come up on top of you is the way they describe it in Mexico or it got on you. And, and it's a very distressing experience during sleep. And it's usually common that people will wake up. It can last one to 10 minutes and you have this chest tightness and shortness of breathing and wanting to scream, but it's, you really can't do anything. It's a sleep paralysis of sorts. And so I guess it's, can be pretty common. I don't know why in Mexico they talk about it a lot more than they do in the U.S., but um, <laughs> it's probably the most scary situation I can think of. <laughs> Artist Jeffrey Gibson reminds you to take batteries with you when you go into the woods. Okay, so when I was working for Ernest Maribel for Cloud Eagle, in Nambe, I must have been there for like, I'm going to guess less than a week. And they clearly tagged me as like the city kid. And we went walking down. We had already gone like swimming down into like the Nambe Falls. We had walked this road many times. And, uh, you know, they were like, oh, let's go for a walk. Let's walk down to the falls. And it was probably, you know, sun had gone down. So it was probably about like nine or 10 o'clock at night. So everyone was like, everyone get your everyone get your flashlight. Like let's let's walk down to the falls and go for a swim. And and so uh, so we're walking down the road, you know, and it's so quiet and you can see the stars in the sky and everything feels really amazing. We just had like a great like sit around the fire and ate good food and and um, people start telling their skinwalker stories and um, and they you know they were like you know this this like. This man turned into this horse, the skeleton that ran up, ran up like a fire escape. And I was like, oh, my gosh, skinwalkers exist in the city. And they were like, yeah, man, they exist everywhere. And then um, they were and I was like, and your friend saw this, like you believe your friend saw this. And they're like, yeah, my friend totally saw it. Like he's like, this is what happened to him. And so and they would have another skinwalker story, another skinwalker story over here. So they let they told me all these stories and I was already kind of freaked out. And then slowly they started turning off their flashlights and suddenly I was like in the pitch darkness in Nambe and they all just so silently, you couldn't hear them at all. And I was completely alone in the dark after they had just told me all of these skinwalker stories. And I was probably 20, must've been about 22 or 23. And I have never been, it was one of the scariest experiences I can remember in my life. And then you would hear like noises and they kept this going for probably about 20 minutes or so before some, they really thought I was going to lose it before like someone finally turned on the flashlight and was like, we're right here. (laughs) Sometimes Jonathan Thunder wishes he wasn't so close to those things that go bump in the night. When I graduated from film school, I had learned how to do animation in uh, 3D programs like Maya, uh, 3ds Max, um, and compositing in After Effects. So I I was lucky in that I got a job pretty quickly at a a company in downtown Minneapolis called Great Tapes. Great Tapes, uh, as you can tell by the name of the company, was a little dated. Uh, It had been there a while, and it was housed in an old bar that way back in 
whatever uh, year uh, Al Capone and those gangsters were kind of running back and forth through the Midwest was owned by a gangster by the name of Kid Can. And um, I guess, you know, there'd be legends kicked around the uh, it was a video house you know, between the editors and graphics guys and stuff like, you know, they heard uh, this happened here, you know, like this shootout was here. Uh, Kid Can used to keep his enemies in the uh, coolers downstairs hung on hooks, stuff like that, which um, was really, you know, interesting to hear and uh, not very um, comforting to me being the entry level person in the job. My job was when I first started there to work the night shift, like after the day editors would go home, I would walk into one of the suites and kind of babysit their video project as it was kind of rendering and uh, work on some 3D animation for various projects to late into the night, sometimes until about three in the morning. Actually, uh, you know, sometimes later than that, but that's all they had for me. And I, w- I was pretty grateful to get the work. You know, it was, it was hard to get a job in a video house in Minneapolis. So I think it was about 2 a.m. one night, uh, you know, somewhere between 1 and 2. And um, I'm sitting in this tiny office right around the corner from our fulfillment center, which had these huge doors. And one was always sort of dead bolted open. And one was always sort of uh, they had to lock on the floor because they were big doors deadbolted shut. Um, I'm working uh, already probably just a little bit where the hairs on the back of your neck are standing up, just, you know, thinking about being the only person there that late at night. And I hear this loud slamming sound, the sound of a, a door, two doors slamming basically simultaneously right around the corner. So I get up and go around the corner and those two doors, uh, the one on the left was always open and the one on the left right was always shut. They had reversed. Um, basically one had slammed shut and the other one had slammed open. And I, I work right next to those doors. So it was almost like a photograph. I, I knew that they had something had happened and it was so loud, you know, that it scared the hell out of me. So, just looking at the doors, I started to sweat, you know, it was like a cold sweat coming down the back of my neck. <clears throat> and I went, uh, I was standing next to the back door that went out into the parking lot. And then, uh, the other way was my office, you know, I'm entry level, uh, really hard job to find. I was like, do I run out that door <laughs> or do I go and sit back down at my desk and do my job? Well, I went and sat down back at my desk and uh, I finished my work and I was never happier to leave that building that night than, than any other time. I was, I was so uh, shaken. It was just, uh, it was really hard to focus on my work, but you know, I had to do it. I had to finish my job. But uh, yeah, uh, after that, I remember sharing that story with a couple of the uh, other folks that worked the day shift. And then they had some good stories for me that sort of validated my my experience. Chef Candace Stock knows the shadow sees you when you're in your loft. The house we we lived in was in the middle of nowhere when I was growing up, um, and 
my my bedroom was in a lofted area of the house and there was always the shadow of a man just like on the wall across from my bedroom and no one could ever figure out where the shadow was coming from and I don't know there were so many situations um where I felt like it was there because of me and um my there's one night where we lived really not close but the only thing that was close to our house was a bar and it was called the flowing well and some drunk guy like crashed his car on his way home and walked into our house and my dad had to kick him out but that night I looked out and I could tell someone was in the house and there was um that shadow on the wall and I swore it told me to go to bed go back to bed and my dad like I could hear him yelling and it wasn't my dad's voice but um as I got older and I, I moved out of my dad's house and moved to my mom's and all this, it's like through my life, I've continued to see this shadow. And it doesn't matter where I live, it's always with me. And there was one night where I, I thought it was like something evil and all this. And so I, I gave it gave it to the creator. My mom always said, like, the first thing you do before you, before you, uh, talk to any spirits as you give it to the creator and so I said my prayer and um then after that that spirit I realized was was my family and is still with me and I guess the scary part about it is that it has been witnessed by other people and experienced by other people. And so, um, I don't know, just like have a very strong connection to uh, my ancestors, I guess. Singer Kaylin Fay realizes that some songs should go unreleased. I had the song called Spotted Bird. And it's been recently um, released fully in Cherokee, but it's been, it's a song I wrote in like 2016 or 17. And I was performing at this like house show festival and played it. I guess I should back up a little bit. The song is called Spotted Bird. I wrote it about um, owls and um, basically for my tribal nation you know owls are like holy but they're also like harbingers of death basically so you have to be really careful if one like sits on your back fence line or sticks around for a while it means someone's going to be ill or pass away um and so they've always been kind of like scary for me um in a lot of different ways but i wrote about it because um you know my dad was ill at the time and was thinking about these things a lot and he was telling us stories um so I wrote this song and 
it's a very like sweet, soft song that doesn't sound scary when you listen to it. Well, I played it at this house show and the lady was kind of laughing because I told a story about it and she was like, oh, ha, ha, that's so interesting. I love owls. And I was like, oh, that's probably not an animal you want to like love. Um, so it shouldn't be like your favorite animal. Um, anyway, so I let it go and started playing. And as I'm playing, an owl lands on her back fence line. And I was like, I think I'm not going to finish this. And she was like, no, look, it's so funny. You should keep playing. Um, and I felt really uncomfortable. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to finish the song and be done with it. As I finish the song, a second owl lands on her back fence line. And I was like, okay, I am never playing here ever again. And she was like, you know, has no relationship to that. So she has no idea. And she's just laughing she's like that's so cool that these owls landed on the back fence line while you're playing a song about this and um I was like this is in fact not cool and so I left she was very thankful and super nice and then um two weeks later she messaged me I have never talked to this woman you know besides playing in her house for this festival she messaged me and said a week after that her mom passed away out of nowhere. And I was like, oh my gosh. That was, so that's my scary story. It was like, ew, it still creeps me out. I to like even think about. So I try not to play that song like in people's homes anymore. Filmmaker Princess Johnson now knows the truth is up there. Um, I was living in Hermosa Beach back in 2008. And um, I came home one day, it was kind of overcast. And, um, and it wasn't raining, but it was definitely like low hanging kind of clouds. And I got out of my car. And I was walking to the house and I just happened to look up and I couldn't really gauge like how far up. Cause like I said, it was like overcast. Um, but I kind of like looked down the ways down the street a ways and I'm on a kind of like hilly incline I was on sixth street in Hermosa and residential neighborhood. And I see these orbs in the sky and I'm like wow and immediately my logical brain is like looking for indicator lights I'm like oh it's like some sort of an aircraft you know um but there's none there's no indicator lights it's just these kind of like amber type orbs and they're kind of in this like v shape and as they got closer, there was no noise coming from it. And I couldn't gauge, like, maybe it was like a mile in the air. I don't know. It was, but I saw it, but it was there. And, um, as my brain is kind of racing, trying to figure out like, what the hell is this? Um, when it went directly over my head, like these orbs went kind of directly when it got to that point, 
I had this kind of like visceral feeling shoot through my body. And I just knew I was like, this, this is not from here. Like these, this isn't whatever this is, is not from here. And I just kept watching it and it just kind of slowly went up a ways. And then it kind of like disappeared into the cloud cover. And I was like, okay, that was crazy. Um, and I had, I was like, and I also had a weird feeling that I was going to see it again. And so I called my mom and I was like, mom, um, I just saw these like weird, like Amber orbs in the sky. And I don't think it was like from here. And she was like, oh, okay. Well, that's a blessing. And you have to understand my mom. (laughs) My mom is like always, you know, she's just like, I mean, like my mom is like that person who's just like, you know, things like that. It's like something from another world. Like it's a blessing to her. I'm like, okay, I accept that. I accept that that is a blessing. Um, Even though I'm just like, I'm a little like freaked out right now. So as I'm talking to her though, they appear again in this, in the same location. So they start coming through the cloud cover again. And I'm like, I got to go. Like they're here again. And I was like, okay, I need a witness. Like I cannot be here alone. Like I need somebody to like witness this. And I saw somebody like walking with their dog, but they were like kind of way up the street. And I had this like neighbor. And so I, I, I run to my neighbor's house and I'm like knocking on the door and the, these orbs do the same trajectory. They go right over up the street and then they disappear again. And right when the guy, my neighbor, he's like this older white guy, like comes to the door, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to look like that lunatic, like the crazy native lady next door. Who's like going through a divorce. This girl's crazy. (laughs) And, um, and I said to him, I was like, Hey, um, I just saw these, I didn't say, I did not say UFO. I just said, I just saw these, these lights in the sky and I want you to like, check them out with me. And he's like, Oh, sure. And he like comes out of the house and we're like looking up in the skies and I tell him what I saw. Like, I was like, it just came twice went over my head and he starts telling me and I'm thinking, Oh, I, I wonder if he thinks I'm crazy, but he actually ends up telling me the story of with being with his dad, who was a scientist, like out in the mountains in like Virginia or something. And they broke down and pulled over to the side of the road. It's like pitch black out there. And they ended up seeing these crazy lights, this crazy light in the sky that had this erratic pattern. And his dad was like this, like totally like logical, you know, like guy. And his dad was like, yeah, we can't, like, he couldn't explain it. Like it definitely scared them whatever they saw up in the sky. And so he's telling me the story. We don't see anything. And so I'm like, eh, it's probably done. Like, you know, we're not going to see it again. And I go inside. And then I remembered that my other neighbor, and I don't know if you've heard of a company called Northrop Grumman. Okay. So he worked for Northrop Grumman. And when he got that job, the CIA literally knocked on my door and asked me a few questions about him. Like they were doing extensive vetting on him. And so this guy is like straight laced. Like he's like an engineer. He's like, you know, really nice guy. And 
he had just built like a sky roof on the top of his house. So I knock on his door and I'm like, Hey, I just saw these crazy lights in the sky. I have no idea what they were, but they were, I just feel like they were not from here. He's like, Oh, this is a great, you know, opportunity. Like let's go up on the sky roof and like, check it out. So his wife, who's from China, he's like Japanese American and his wife's from China. They have an eight-year-old son. She makes some tea. We all go up upstairs. And at this point from the first sighting, at least 35 minutes has gone by. And so I'm like, what are the odds like that we're going to see something again? So we go up on um, his, on the roof, we're drinking tea. We're just having a good time. And from another corner of the sky, the lights, these orbs come down again, only this time they're like so much closer and his, I'm like right there. I'm like, look, 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 look. And I'm like, do you see it? And like, literally like they were nonverbal, like their jaws just dropped. And all of us were like, oh my God. And the orbs went straight over our head. But as they got closer, they ch changed from like amber to like, it was like these white kind of like crosses and they were in a V. I couldn't tell if they were like connected to a craft, but they were like, they turned into these like white crosses and we, all of us were just like stunned. Like none of us could even say anything. And it went silently not a noise over our heads and as they went more distant they became the amber orbs again and then they disappeared into the clouds and maybe like 15 seconds I don't know not a lot of time went by and it was like in the other direction it was like a meteor it was like and then it like flared up and disappeared. And I looked at him and I said, cause he works at North of Grumman. So he's like doing all those top secret stuff. I'm like, is that us? Like, did we do that? <laughs> and he was like, I don't know what that was. He's like, I don't know where that came from. That was not us. And yeah, it was just so mind boggling. And I remember after that, um, actually having a couple nightmares because in my nightmares, I, it was so, it, it, it does something to see something like that. It kind of does something to you psychologically, like spiritually, like it was just like just other chasm opened up. And I, I remember having a nightmare where I saw a craft and it was like landed and I heard this noise in my mind. And I remember like that. I remember I was like near the presence of this being, this other being. And I got into the fetal position and covered my eyes. And I was like, I am not ready to see you. Like, I don't want to see you. <laughs> it was so, you know, it really kind of like, it, it, it made a big impression on me. <laughs> Nurse practitioner Whitney Johnson realizes that not all visitors to Bear Butte park in the parking lot. I was in Mountain Lake Middle School age, and my mom and I had went with my grandma and her co-workers to um, hike up Bear Butte near Sturgis, South Dakota. 
and it was not around ceremony time, um, which is significant because around ceremony time at Bear Butte, there's a lot, a lot of people around there. Outside of that, there's not as many people. And uh, we also went up there very, very early in the morning, um, <clears throat> just after like the sun was coming up. And when we got there, uh, there wasn't any other cars in the parking lot other than who was from my grandma's office. Um, me and my mom had ridden with my grandma up there. And so we started up and I, uh, my grandma and her coworkers had said right away that I could go on ahead of them if I wanted to, because they weren't going to be following along quite as quickly. Um, so I went up as I, I've been at Bear Butte, had been at Bear Butte probably dozens of times by that point. And for people who aren't familiar, there's pretty much one way up, one way down, which is the same path. And uh, so I get to the top and there's like this deck thing up top uh, that you can go up on and you can see that it's just kind of an outlook point. And when I get to the top, I'm this, I'm super surprised because there's this older guy up there and his dog and this dog doesn't look quite like a regular dog. It almost looks like a coyote dog, kind of mixed dog. It definitely looks more like a coyote than it does a dog. And <clears throat> the older guy is kind of looking out from, from up top where the, the viewing deck is. And uh, even though I was really surprised, I said, good, good morning. And um, he said, he kind of like nodded his head. He has back turned to me. He was looking out. I, I remember his appearance really clearly uh, as an old native guy at a braid and uh, kind of this poncho thing on and cowboy boots and his dog was just kind of looking at me the whole time and so I'm just kind of up there checking things out and thinking like this is just so weird there was no other cars in the parking lot how is this guy up here um, you know it's so bizarre uh, did he like because Bear Butte is is miles away from like where you could park and walk to it I guess like if you if you parked in Sturgis it would take you hours to walk from Sturgis to Bear Butte so like I said just a super unusual <clears throat> wondering how that guy got up there and uh yeah you know he turned to to leave and I decided I was just getting ready to go back down myself but I thought you know um you know my grandma and her co-workers had given me permission to trot on ahead you know I'd always been taught you don't um, walk in front of elders because it's disrespectful so I wanted to kind of give him a little bit of time to get ahead of me as he wasn't walking super steadily um but he and his dog <clears throat> headed out and uh I went out there shortly after and um, I'm just still really surprised on my way down that I'm I'm not catching up to him because they said he wasn't walking very steadily and I'm trying to walk as slow as possible but I'm a fast walker just as my mom and so my pace was probably still pretty quick and <clears throat> before I know it I'm kind of like ha happened upon my grandma and my mom and her co-workers and I said did you guys see the old guy come past you already and I said what 
I said there was an old guy and his like coyote dog up there when I got up there and it was so weird because there's no other cars in the parking lot except for everybody who's right here's vehicles and they all kind of looked at each other and they're like no nobody has walked past us you're the first person we've seen so then I'm like wondering like how now how did he get down like how did he get (laughs) how did he get past these guys without them seeing him um and uh as that that moment my grandma kind of raised an eyebrow at me and and said you told me I kind of shrugged my shoulders um you know in our in our uh culture um Tomi is often accompanied by his companion the coyote artist Jonathan Thunder reminds us that not all our cousins can be relied upon when things get spooky so when I was a little kid, uh, my cousin, uh, Mike Thunder, and uh, his relatives all lived in an old house in the east side of town um, by Columbia Heights. And I went and stayed the night there uh, multiple times, and they they slept in the attic. There was a whole bunch of beds upstairs where the ki- all kids all slept. And we were little enough to where me and my cousin Mike shared a bed, and my little brother was sleeping by the window on the third floor of this huge house. And I remember waking up and looking at the window and there was this sort of orb in the window, in the glass, you know, it just looked like a perfect sphere. Um, And I'm pretty small at the time, you know, I'd have to guess I was probably about eight, nine uh, tops. And I just remember squinting my eyes, looking at it. And I uh, woke up my cousin, Mike. And I said, hey, do you see that? You know, and we're just little kids. He looks at the window um, and he didn't. So I got started to get scared. I pulled the covers over my head. It was really hot being in the attic. So I didn't like that very much. Uh, and I had to peek, you know, I peeked again. And, and that thing had sort of developed a little face on it. It was uh, kind of this kind, smiling, sort of uh, older man's face, uh, elderly and then uh, the closer I looked, um, just sort of barely peeking over the covers, I could see that there was some kind of official hat, you know, like you might see a uh, skipper from Gilligan's Island wearing or something like that, sort of like the small brim with the uh, officer type shape <clears throat> on top of this perfect sphere. And it, I was shaking. I covered myself up again and uh uh, threw the blanket over my cousin's head and I was just like, there's something out there. And he he just kind of laughed at me like, what, you know, he looked, he was about a year older than me. He said, I don't see anything. So I looked again and it had moved from the outside of the window inside the window and was right above where my little brother, who was about four years old, was sleeping in the bed, uh, totally undisturbed, but you could see sort of this light around it kind of like lighting up the area where it was at. And uh, I froze. I could not move. It moved from the window uh, over to this big box fan that was sitting on top of a dresser and was right in front of this box fan, just piercing me with its eyeballs, you know, but it was like the smile. It was so kind. Uh, In my memory, there was probably no reason to be afraid of this thing. But I was a little kid and I was terrified. 
I got up and ran out of the room. I didn't, I wasn't a hero. I didn't like save my little brother or anything like that. I ran out of the room down the stairs to the second floor where my uh, uncle and uh, aunt were sleeping and slid under their bed. And that's where I stayed until basically sometime early in the morning where I got up uh, and left because I didn't want to get in trouble for sneaking into their room and went back upstairs. And uh, the next morning, you know, I was, uh, my cousin Mike was kind of making fun of me, you know, saying, oh, John thought he saw a ghost, you know, and I was like, well, I don't know what happened. Honestly, I have no explanation. Artist Anita Fields realized that there was a couple questions she should have asked about her residency beforehand. I think it was about seven, eight years ago, I was doing a residency in Kansas City. And I guess I should, I guess I can go ahead and say it's with the, at the Nelson Atkins Museum. And so they put you up in these uh, kind of refurbished townhouses that are near the museum. And my understanding of those townhouses is that they were built for the European uh, craftspeople that were sent over to do work in the museum when they were building the museum. So they're, they're quite old. And um, I had only been, well, I kind of started right away. I started waking up like at, at one o'clock and three o'clock in the morning just on a regular basis. And there was just something in there that felt just, you know, just didn't feel right to me. And, and I particularly, what, what did you, you know, I had to go, it had a little bitty couch or I think I would have slept on the couch downstairs, but it had like one of those kind of, you know, mini couches and I didn't fit on there. So I was kind of forced to go to bed upstairs, but I just, it just, you know, there was just something so that started this one o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, you know, kind of thing started all the time. And and, and one time when I woke up there, um, I think it was at three o'clock, I looked over at my phone and it was kind of moving, it was kind of moving on the table, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And so, um, I got him to took care of it, you know, you cedar and all this kind of thing. And, and then the next morning I was like in my car and it was real cold there when I was there and um, had to warm the car up, you know, before I left and everything. And so I took a picture of that, of that, of the front of it, you know, and I sent it to my kids and I was like, this is, you know, this is, this is my new place, you know, where I'm staying and something. And Yadika immediately shot back, you know, like, uh, that looks haunted. <laughs> I got quit. You know? <laughs> I, I believe it is. <laughs> uh, so anyway, it was kind of a crazy experience. And lo and behold, you know, the, the women I was working with at the museum, they would say things like, how was your night? And I would just go, it was fine. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm one of these people that just is pretty private, you know, I guess I would say that. And so I would just go, oh, it was okay, you know, and it wasn't until the very end that, you know, because something else happened there at the, at the very end. And I finally just said something and they kind of started laughing. They, I mean, so I, I, it was known for that, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh. And somebody else had, you know, had a very similar experience there. They, they were telling me so. Yeah, so that's my, my residency haunted story. <laughs> 
fashion icon Orlando Dugay is here to tell you that not all camera doorbells capture everything. My parents um, used to live in this this house that my um, my dad's father built for them, and um, <clears throat> we were um, sitting around in the evening time, and I must have been six, eight years old, maybe maybe eight or nine. I don't even remember it was so long ago, but um, I remember just um, someone coming up to the door and rattling the doorknob, you know, like trying to get it open. Um, and I mean, and then here you can hear somebody walking around outside and, um, you know, looking in the windows maybe because you can hear them going to the, you know, out, you can hear them by the window. And my father ran outside, uh, my mom, and uh, they didn't see anything. There was no tracks either, so uh, footprints. Um, so, I mean, we have a lot of stories on Dinner Nation about skinwalkers and things like that. And um, so, yeah. TV star Roman Zargoza will tell you that he's not the only ghost in the room. So when I was a kid, um, I used to, even before I can remember, my parents would say that I would point somewhere in a corner and I would say, oh, there's grandpa. Uh, and so my grandfather on my dad's side, I, I bear his name. I'm technically Roman Zaragoza III, and he's Roman Zaragoza Jr., and then there's another Roman Zaragoza um, Sr., my great-grandfather. Um, and so my parents always freaked out because they're like, they're also like, this is awesome, beautiful. We have a connection to, to uh, you know, uh, the grandfather, but terrified of like a little three-year-old boy pointing to a corner and saying, grandpa. <laughs> and it wasn't just like a one-time thing. It was like, it would happen a lot. And I had night terrors growing up. So um, another thing that I don't really remember, uh, but I think I kind of do remember, but it was, it was one of those things. I would just wake up in the middle of the night just like, screaming and my parents were terrified like i was like a a child from like a from 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 a scary movie or something but so so that was something is that is very interesting but i don't really feel like i remember it but another thing that i do remember is there was a part of my high school experience where my friends and i got obsessed with ouija boards don't know why we just did um, I think there was someone who did it who was an upperclassman and like I was was like, oh, it's real. It's real. And maybe it is. Uh, but for us, definitely there, there, there was one time we went uh, with my choir to uh, like a it's a place called Idlewild and we like stay in the woods for a few days and like sing and stuff. But uh, we we found this old, old abandoned little shed and a few of us went in there late at night. And we uh, took out the Ouija board and we started asking questions. And I was like, who's moving it? Who's moving it? Guys, stop moving it. And I, everyone was like, we're not moving it. And it was moving and it was talking to us. So, you know, I like to believe that there was a spirit out there talking to us that day. Um, but also, who knows? It could have been my friend just playing a prank on me. But I like to think that I felt I felt something. Photographer Tom Jones's next investment should be a trail cam. Uh, I have land up in Black River Falls, Wisconsin, and 
I went out to go to the bathroom because we were out in the woods and uh, I saw all this hair and it was like, it wasn't normal hair. Um, and uh, I ended up going and getting my mom and we came back and here all along this trail were this like really long, coarse hair. And so she's like, it's Bigfoot hair. <laughs> and so we, she has it in a bag somewhere. She's like, I'm going to get a DNA tested. <laughs> Artist Wendy Red Star has a real stinker for you. My grandpa, I guess, had ghost medicine. Um, And I don't know how your community is, but death is pretty taboo for crows. Like, they're sort of, um, once somebody dies, you know, historically, I think you weren't supposed to say their name because they, They've gone on to um, the other side of the camp and um, you don't want to disturb them or interrupt them. There's also been like when um, burial sites that crows will go way out of their way to not get close to them. Uh, so it's it's uh, sort of taboo. But since my, my grandpa um, would say that ghosts really like cars, they like to drive in cars. <laughs> that's like, okay, that's interesting. And uh, he was talking to my dad about it, and my dad told me. And, and then he said, you know, I, I can tell you what ghosts are really afraid of. Um, and he said, but if, I'm, if I tell you um, I'm it's really serious. I want you to be serious. And my dad was like, okay. He said, ghosts are terrified. They're really afraid of farts. (laughs) Um, And I thought that is so brilliant. Of course, like that makes so much sense. So anytime you're afraid, just fart you know, and uh, that will clear all, all the ghosts. So that's part of his ghost medicine, I guess. That's pretty good for Halloween, right? <laughs> You're not supposed to laugh. Serious. <laughs> Filmmaker Tyler Claire probably should knock the next time he goes in. There was this like very old, decrepit home in front of the water, very Victorian looking. Um, my res is super old. Uh, and there was always this one statue, this like stoic native statue in the front window that had those eyes that kind of just like follow you, you know, like the Mona Lisa painting, like the way they're designed. Um, and then one night we decided to go in. So we mustered all the courage. We all went in and um, someone was like hoarding or like not hoarding. Someone was, um, someone was living in there like uh, squatting. That's the word squatting. I don't know if that's a better word, but, um, but they weren't there at the time, but they painted all, they took all these paper plates and wrote and drew faces on each one and strung them everywhere. So when we got in, it was this decrepit old house covered with these faces and no one had the courage to go upstairs because at one point behind us, a ball came out from the room 
and rolled out and hit one of our legs and we were gone. Uh, the house is gone. It's been torn down since, so it doesn't exist anymore. But um, I'll never forget going into that house and like having a true haunted house like moment and also being a piece of shit teenager and like breaking into places. <laughs> and like, uh, I, I, I cherish my memories growing up on my res because um, I feel like I had like a proper teenage good time despite you know i had i was bullied all those things but i still like had my friends and had you know getting lost on a bicycle for like hours and like yeah so i love all things dr holly mackie reminds us that not all these stories are scary so we have strange but positive experiences here this is why we bought our house in fargo um, is, um, so I have been in houses that definitely had some, some spirits, right. Or something going on. And, and the first experience was my grandfather and my grandmother told me the story of being like elevated off her bed and all of this. And it just didn't make sense. Cause I thought, you know, if my grandpa were coming back, he wouldn't scare me. Right? <laughs> like he wouldn't want to hurt me. <laughs> and so I've always been just, you know, very open to weird things happening. But when we we moved to Fargo and we were house shopping and we walked into the house that I'm in now and there was such an overwhelming sense of happiness and peace in this house where it our interpretation of this was that there were indeed right because it's a 125 year old house, right? There there were indeed right? People who have passed through the space who are no longer with us. But the love, whatever family, the family that was in here before, their love, you could just almost touch it, right? You could tell this family like really loved it, really loved the home. And whatever spirits were in the space were content. Artist Savis Charlie is also aware that she's not the only one in her home. When I first went to IIA in Santa Fe, you know, it's an old, that's like an old place with lots of um, doings and happenings, a lot of bloodshed there. You know, if you think about, you know, the historical aspect of Santa Fe, you know, isn't it like the oldest capital or oldest something in the nation? But anyways, I rented a house across the street from campus. And the campus, campus is like south of Santa Fe. It's kind of out in the boonies. And I rented a house across the street and I was going to school full time. And my daughter was like about three years old and um, thing, and the house was like kind of like a new Adobe style house. Um, and things started happening in the house. Like, like the towels would fall off the rack, you know, and I thought it was my daughter, the garage door would open and then um, just little things would happen here and there, but I was still busy. I remember and, and it, it was ongoing. And then um, I had a, a babysitter my friend's daughter was uh, babysitting and uh me and her mom were out to dinner and she called us frantic uh saying she saw something in the in the 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 glass case that we had but she saw something walk by and then she heard them dragging their feet and uh so we rushed home and you know smudged the house down and put up tobacco ties and um 
Yeah, we, you know, and then also at the same same thing, um, my daughter's dad was sleeping on the couch and he woke up in the middle of the night and he couldn't move. Then he heard these all these different voices talking. He said it sounded like he saw lights and these little voices talking in the kitchen to each other, but it, they were like, he couldn't understand them. He said it sounded like they were like, I don't know if, like, if you ever live in an apartment, it sounds like someone next door, you could hear it, but you can't understand what they're saying. And um, yeah, and we told the owners of the house about that and they didn't say anything. And then once we moved out, they brought up that the people before us had said the same thing, that, you know, there was stuff going on in that house. And that should be like a disclaimer when you run a house. <laughs> but it just makes me think of the history of, you know, Santa Fe and that land that's there. You know, there's all kinds of, you know, all kinds of, you know, spirits walking around there. <laughs> And now for your listening pleasure, artist John Hitchcock and his band Stolen Sea presents three tracks from the new album Wicked Sounds, which tells some very scary stories. pasture house and we went to bed probably um, about one in the morning exciting and we were out um we're laying there we're asleep laying and there's a big it started to rain nephews had set up a tent for us smell we that smell of grass we did. and uh summertime shifts with rains on it sweet smell Oklahoma. there was this beautiful the rain thing i know i wake up, up and we fell asleep probably about six morning still dark out and Emily's like what is it and Something then outside. there was mean? a sound and it was my name someone was calling my name like Shadow the of the tent. and so I was sleeping on the ground so my head was low so this little sound was low too a little boy and um what do you mean? I, I've tried to well, remember like what it sounded like because it wasn't a whisper and it wasn't a regular voice. It was like what? in between, person, in between sound thought. calling my name, and I felt really Maybe startled. But I also yeah, felt like when it woke me up that it was sort know, of just testing odd. to see if it could do it. Yep. 
It was with the nun of Ellie goes, what's that? So that's how I learned about the nun of She had never heard of them. We never told her about the nun of hmm. the little people. Tell us about this old lady by the tree, this old elderly lady. She'd be sitting there in the middle of this field by this old cedar tree. And one time these little people came up to her. She was sitting there and they were coming up and they were talking to her and she was telling them stories. They were kind of laughing together. They were listening to her and then all of a sudden they just disappeared. They went away. The next day they came back and she was talking with them again, and this time she got yelled at them, and she kicked at one of them, and she started to kick at all of them, and she got her cane, and she took her cane and swung at them and hit one. One of them screamed really loud, and it took off. So on that third day, she was sitting there by that tree, they showed up. She could smell that smell of guita, just everywhere. And they all surrounded her. This time they weren't laughing, they were looking at her. And one of them said, don't ever do that, ever. Don't ever touch us. The next day, which was the fourth day, she noticed that her leg and her foot was a smell, it smelled really stinky. She noticed that they were rotting, her foot was rotting and her leg was rotting. Gaku said, if you ever see a nunapi, leave it alone. Keep walking. If you ever feel a spirit following you, just keep on walking. said sometimes that spirit of that young lady who wrecked on the bridge 
would show up on the powwows at Taipei Park. The old ones would say, sometimes you would see this beautiful woman. She had the most gorgeous shawl and earrings, long, long, beautiful hair that was flowing through the air. She would walk through the powwow grounds and get right there in the middle of the dance ground. She would get between all the women dancers and she sure would start dancing hard. Everyone was looking at her and how incredible she was. And all of a sudden, one of the cuckoos noticed. They said, hey, look at her. Look at her feet. Look down below her shawl. They would see that she didn't have feet. She had deer hooves. When she noticed they saw her, she just took off running. She went running across that dance ground, heading for the east side of the ground, running out. She went straight off the dance ground, back down to the creek. Kaku would say, don't go down there by the creek. out of the album Blanket Songs by Stolen Sea on October 31st, 2023. Next up, jeweler Jenny Romano shares a story from the boarding school days. I was going to school. I went to a boarding school. And um, it was during my senior year of high school. We were um, getting ready to go to bed. We we're all in the bathroom. It was a large like communal type bathroom. And some girls were on one end, a couple of us on the other. And all of a sudden, the shower curtain just um, flies open, like someone just yanked it open. And we looked at each other like we knew who was all still up. And we're like, who else is in here? So we thought it was one of the younger girls still in there. And then we thought they were like playing a joke on us. And then pretty soon we could hear like boots like someone stomping around and we looked at each other like who would be wearing boots in here so we all decided to just scare the person that was trying to scare us so we all wrapped around one went one way one went another way to meet in the middle to confront whoever was trying to you know scare us we all got back together and we never ran into anybody and we all looked at each other like oh my god no one's in here and then we just all got out of there <laughs> we were just seeing that happen to us <laughs> michaela shirley shares a story of an unwanted guest many years ago when my niece and i were with our nolly uh isabel her grandma isabel um and it was creepy because she always had a shotgun with her 
and because we're up in the mountains all by ourselves um, with no one around for at least five, seven miles, you know, so like it became important for her to have that gun. And it was, it was a night where it was raining and my, the sheep were like, you know, disturbed or being bothered by something. And so my Nolly went out with her gun and she like was shooting like a couple of rounds because she usually does that if, um, there's like a coyote or a bear or a wolf around. And so she'll do that. And uh, we were just like huddled under the blankets, very scared. And if you know what a Navajo Hogan is, Navajo female Hogan, um, you know then that at the top of the roof is an opening that the um, chimney pipe will go through. And so we were deathly scared that like, whatever is out there is like probably going to be crawling on the roof trying to come in. And uh, the only reason why we were thinking that is because while our Nolly was like out shooting and checking on the sheep, um, we were kind of hearing like footsteps or um, someone like standing on the pellet, uh, which is right outside the front door. And just kind of like, you know, you just get this feeling that you're not alone. And um, so we were hiding ourselves under the blankets and just, you know, trying to hang in there till Nolly gets back and then uh, eventually fell asleep. So then the next day after we woke up, because uh, the storm had passed and everything, we were looking around the Hogan and there were uh, footsteps, like footprints. And the footprints were at the window at the front door and then when we looked at the um at one of the side windows um we saw a piece of like horse hair that was like wrapped up very perfectly and just placed on the window seal and like that was so creepy and scary and we just didn't know what to do with it but um and then, of course, we had the dogs around, too, but even the dogs were, like, really scared and, like, didn't know what was going on. But, um, yeah, we can't explain to this day, like, what that was or who was out there. Um, but, yeah, that was really creepy for us. <laughs> Architect Craig Beaumont Flynn demonstrates that the spirits don't always have to come to you. Being Native American, you know, we always believe that our ancestors are, are around us all the time. Um, my mother was a huge fan of Halloween. My mother loved every holiday possible. She would always decorate no matter what. Um, but she loved she loved Halloween because of the little kids and seeing them dress up. But as a youth, okay, this sounds kind of morbid. We used to go to uh, cemeteries and hang out at night. For no unknown reason, just a, it was a, it was a cool space. It was just something that was really intriguing. It had a mystique to it. And to this day, I love going to old cemeteries and just walking around and seeing the names and the, the dates and uh, some of the tombstones being so decrepit and kind of falling apart, but also still there, still present. Um, one time 
uh, we were at one in um, in upstate New York. So a lot of the the individuals that were buried there had like 17, 1800 uh, dates on them. And we'd always see this flashing light, flashing light. And we got locked in the cemetery. <laughs> Stupid youth, not <laughs> shouldn't be in there anyway. Um, but we always see this flashing light. And uh, we went there once during the day and it was a wall. So there was nothing beyond that wall that could have a flashing light. But this flashing light was directly coming from that wall. Um, come to find out, after afterwards, we did some research and talked to some people, not telling them that we were there after it closed at you know midnight, um, that someone was actually killed there, a gunshot. It was a duel. So if you think about duels, you always had a fire, a, a reflective flyer. And that's kind of what we were seeing at that time was like almost like a flash. It wasn't a, a light that was bouncing around or was consistent. It was almost like a flashing, like a spark light. Um, but yeah, come to find out the building was uh, built on top of where the person died during that duel. Artist Deborah Yippapampin shares a story about a, a hard lesson learned. I was at an art supply store here in Chicago um, some years ago. I was buying supplies for a summer program that I was working at. And, um, you know, while I was, while the, the uh, person behind the counter was ringing me up, you know, he, he noticed, because I was working for the American Indian Education Program. And um, so, you know, his question was, oh, so are you Native? Um, yeah, I'm Native. Um, he started asking me questions, uh, you know, and I think he was he was kind of leading to like wanting to know things like like supernatural kind of things. And, um, you know, I I knew against better judgment that there are certain things that I shouldn't be talking about, but I was talking about them and I was sharing some things um, with him that even like in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, you should not even be telling him this stuff. And, you know, because he's like this older white guy. And I think I, I feel like maybe he tricked me into telling him these things. And I was telling him the story. And then all of a sudden, um, there's a like a, a counter right next to us. And uh, the counter had like a display of pens and markers. And as I was getting to a part in the story, um, the the display like nobody walked by there was no movement anywhere that display just flipped over and flipped off the case and like the markers and pens just flew everywhere and like I immediately I was like oh my gosh that that's a sign that's a sign that I just need to stop I need to stop telling this man anything more um and so then like you know helped to pick up the pens paid for the stuff you know and then and then left I went out to my car um and I tried to start the car and the battery had died. Um, and so then again, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a sign. Um, I shared way too much. This was, that was just not the, the right thing to do. And um, I just, I immediately knew though, that was like ancestors saying like, like, you know, be quiet, <laughs> don't say anymore. <laughs> um, but you know, this is how you're going to learn. And so that is something that I, I remember. And I, I think, you know, since then, it, it, I still remember that that moment. And I remember, you know, that lesson 
So I am more careful about the kinds of things, you know, I can share and that I shouldn't share. And, you know, I think that was something that I had to do at the museum too, because, you know, sometimes I would host visits with non-Native people and they would always ask questions about, you know, like our ways or certain things. And, you know, I think it, it's a hard lesson for them to understand that, well, no, we can't tell you that. And you don't need to know that. And it's not my place to tell you that. Um, so, and I always kind of go back to that moment too. Like, yeah, because I, I don't want ancestors getting mad at me and, <laughs> um, you know, killing my car battery. <laughs> Artist John Isaiah Pepion shares a story about someone at the top of the stairs. Uh, my name is John Isaiah Pepion. I'm from the Blackfeet Indian Reservation in Montana. And my story takes place there in a community called Browning in a housing section called uh, Chinatown. In 1988, um, that's where we lived, me and my sister and my mother and my stepfather at the time. Um, so it was in the, uh, it was at nighttime. Uh, my mom's sister was visiting, so it was me and my mom and my mom's sister and my sister and my sister was sleeping upstairs because it was like a duplex upstairs, uh, like a three bedroom um, apartment complex. And um, so we were watching a movie, me, my aunt, my mother, and uh, I decided to use the bathroom, which was upstairs and and. Um, so all the rooms in the bathroom were upstairs, and 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 in the middle of the stairs was a, a like a, a space where the stairs switched, so you could stand there and turn to continue to go up the stairs. And so I, I got to the middle part of the stairs and, and felt a, a presence, at, and uh, stood in the middle part. And as I looked up, looked up at the stairs, there was a, a um, like a person standing there. Um, all I could see was all black, but you could tell it was like a figure of, of a man. And, and at that time, I just remember screaming and, and being stuck. And uh, my mother and aunt come running to the stairs and uh, asked me what's wrong. And I, I remember telling them that there's a man up there and they were just like a man. And, and um, I think they both, my aunt and my mom went upstairs, but they grabbed me first, looked around, didn't see anything. And they um, they had to go up there. My mom says that she was pretty scared. They had to go up there and grab my sister because she was sleeping. And they grabbed my sister, and we they were, we all made it downstairs. And while we were downstairs, they kept hearing noises up there, like walking around and jumping on a bed. When that had happened, um, we my mother ended up uh, packing packing our stuff up, and we ended up. Uh, leaving for a few weeks to stay with their grandmother but growing up in that um, apartment for a short time um, talking with family throughout the years all of them had experiences in that house of some said they seen a little girl some said it was very um, haunting uh, my mother says that at times it sounded like people were upstairs nurse practitioner whitney johnson knows to stay on the main highway um, back home on my reservation, there's a place called Sheep Mountain, <clears throat> and a lot of people won't go there because bad things have happened there. 
you know, a lot of people used to go back there in the, the 70s and the 80s. My mom's dad used to talk about it. But people quit going there to, to kind of go up there and party because people would talk about feeling like they were, like somebody was trying to shove them. Um, like unknown force, kind of trying to shove them off the edge up there. <clears throat> it's not an actual mountain per se. It's more like a table, like the top of a butte. And it's a pretty big, like, fall down if you were to get shoved off there. So... Um, <clears throat> I was always raised, you know, to not, not go there because it's a, a bad place. Like something is just off up there. And interestingly enough, it's like one of the only parts of the, the Badlands Park that is, closes at, at sundown. Um, like they have a gate they put up and, and stuff. It's <clears throat> most of the parts of the park is just, you know, like there's maybe like an indication that it's closed, but there's no like actual barbed wire gate like there is for the entrance of there. Anyway, this uh, story came from <clears throat> a cousin of one of my friends uh, growing up. And my friend was being raised kind of primarily in the city. And she was kind of talking, joking around that she wanted to go there. And I was like, no, you don't. <laughs> she said, well, have you ever been there? I said, no, and I don't ever want to go there either. Um, and her, her cousin had said, yeah, you don't want to go there. Um, and she was talking about how... <clears throat> she had uh, went there once in high school, and uh, with with one of her one of the other kind of cousins her age, and then a few younger cousins that were like junior high age, um, sort of, and they had driven up there. Um, she can drive all all the way to the top, and they were in one of those Grand Ams or Grand Prix, you know, kind of nineties model that had the the handle of the door to the car was up on the side instead of down in the middle of the door, which is important a point later on. <clears throat> so they're up there, it's night, they're they're pretty they're kind of like that's kind of exciting or whatever. The older girls and you know, the younger girls are all kind of nervous and they're sitting there talking and they're like, I don't know everybody is, you know, like worried about this. I don't think anything's gonna happen. Um and uh, not long after that, one of the younger girls in the back seat turns just white as a sheet and starts bawling and screaming. They're trying to get in. They're trying to get in. And the older girls are saying, what? What do you mean? And she said, you got to go. They're trying to get in. They're trying to get in. And she is bawling hysterically and like panicking. So they decide they, they're going to call and they're going to go ahead and go down because when one of the older girls tried to reached for the door handle and was going to get out. She said, no, don't open the door. Don't open the door. And so they went down. <clears throat> and when they got to the bottom um, and into the turn, um, you know, they they kind of like kind of taking a breath or whatever and trying to get the other girl calmed down. And she said, what do you mean? What did you mean by saying they were trying to get in? And the younger girl said they, they were trying to open the door. Some Somebody something was trying to open the car door. Um, I don't think they could find the handle. And so the girl who was driving got out and looked, uh, looked walked over to that side of the car. She was going to try, you know, just kind of look at it and say, see, you know, there's nothing here. But what she did find was in the dust on the cars. They were in the Badlands all, all evening, right? So it's really dusty. Your vehicle gets really dusty. There was handprints all over the door on the outside of the car where the door handle should be on a car. Um, but again, this was a, like a Grand Am Grand Prix, like 90s model. So the door handle was actually up on the side. 
and the younger girl had explained that they were, whatever this was, it was trying to get in the car door, was reaching, trying to grab where a car door handle should be. So anyway, that definitely renewed my lack of desire to never go there, <laughs> that place. Printmaker and educator Melanie Yazi reflects on what it all means. In the early 2000s, um, I was invited to go to France to um, a little village called pont aven And pont aven is, it's known for Gauguin um, painting there, studying different things. And there was a contemporary art school there. And part of the invitation is that you teach or do a workshop with students and um, you rent an apartment or place from someone in the community. So I rented this um, house, a small cottage near an old church. And um, I don't know how old it was, but it was pretty old. And I remember one night I was in the room because um, the little bedroom was upstairs and I went upstairs and I was getting ready for bed and I got into bed to go to sleep and I felt like the motion or the weight of somebody else lie down or sit and then lay down next to me. And I mean, cause you know how when you're in a couch or bed or whatever, and you feel the weight of someone else. And I just, I sort of like got this weird chill and I looked over to my left, but nothing was there, but I could feel this like a presence. And I just, I was afraid, but then I sat up very slowly and then I just, um, and there was nothing there. There wasn't even an impression in anything, but I could feel it in my body that something was there. And I just said out loud, like, I know I'm in your home and um, I apologize if I wasn't invited, but I'm, I've, <laughs> and it was funny cause I sort of spoke to it or whatever space um matter of factly and said I've paid the rent for a month here and I have to be here and I hope that we could just like you could just give me some space or we can work together I I would like to ask you not to be in the bed with me there's other rooms or places <laughs> to be while I'm here because that I really need my rest and I need to work and so if I'm asking this out to whatever it is, that would be great. And, uh, and then I left the lights on and I think I went and made some herbal tea or something. And then I came back upstairs and I just thought it's going to be fine. And I got back into bed and went to sleep. And that was the last time like anything like that happened in the space. But I started meeting with different people in the community and some of the people who have Druid ancestry were telling me that um, they said, oh, have you seen the really big tree that's next to where you're staying? And I said, yeah. They said, um, in the old days, um, we worship the trees, like Druids worship trees. And um, wherever there was a big tree with a lot of history, that's where different um, events, like maybe solstice, dances or honorings of time passing they said um it happened there and they said and and when the churches came in they knew that about um our places so they would build the churches near these places i guess similar to what's happened within 
indigenous societies all around the world is that either they build a, a church or thing on top of pyramids or spaces that are sacred to the local people. And so I just thought, you know, at first thinking that situation was a little scary, but then I thought, you know, I need to just speak to it and, um, and just not in a fearful way, but just like in a family way. And I think somehow it put it in a, in a different space for me, but then hearing more of the history, I just felt really honored that, um, whatever that was came to just be with me. And I, from that point forward, I thought back to that time as like, just really special. I, I think when I've traveled to different places in the world, there's different, um, things that sort of, I don't know if it's happenstance or, um, a lot of times I think, I don't know, I hate to put this label on it, but I think for some reason, I believe in my heart that as indigenous people, there's just different things that come to us or present themselves or how things work out. And um, that could have been like bad or something really good happens. And people say to me like, wow, you must have like uh, good angels watching over you. And I said, yeah, my ancestors, my grandparents, my parents are are with me. And I, I just try to talk with them when I go traveling or when things feel a little strange, I, I just ask them to watch out for me. And, and I, in times when things are, are very strange, I think when I was in, I was in boarding school in a Quaker school outside of Philadelphia when I was in high school. And I think uh, once I took the train into Philadelphia and I, I missed curfew to get back to school and I, on the way back where I was close to missing it, I was coming back on the train. And I remember there was somebody um, following me, this really huge kind of like uh, weightlifting dude was following me uh, on down the street and then towards the train station. And, and I just, I got this strange feeling that like something could be weird. And I just told myself like, I'm okay. I know I'm being watched over. And at one point the person approached me and I just sort of looked at him matter of factly. And I said, hi, I noticed you were following me. And he looked disarmed. And then he just said, I just wanted to make sure you got onto the train safely and you don't look like you're from around here or you don't belong here. And I said, um, yeah, I'm not really from here. And I just noticed, I said, at first I thought I should be afraid, but then I just figured maybe we're going to the same place. And he just said, well, you be careful. And um, I was just following you from a distance to make sure you were okay. And I was like, okay, uh, I'm good now. I'm on the train. And um, and then he got off the train at the next stop. And I just sat there thinking, wow. But there's been times in my life when I've traveled to distant places where I really do feel like ancestors or I guess people could say a guardian angel is watching over me. And I just keep myself open to the idea that we, we all do have them watching over us and um and if you're open to um just keeping that possibility open i always tell young people or people i know like just think positive when you travel be aware of your surroundings 
and stay calm if things are are turning sideways or being strange um, and trust that that our ancestors are with us and call on whoever has a certain talent or thing to be with you. And I, I really do believe in that whole thing of, of dreaming, taking us to different places, that there's something um, within the dream space that that we are still open to at times if, if we allow ourselves to be open to that dream space that takes us and helps us see beyond or connect to different places. You know, what you're describing is something my, my father talked about, uh, about the star knowledge, you know? Yeah. And it's, I think it's both uh, physical and metaphysical, you know, that uh, one understanding, you know, basic astrology that, that we did for millennia, you know, that's yeah. just because we didn't publish papers on it doesn't mean we didn't understand it, you know? Yes. Yes. But then there's that, that other connection, you know, in the in-between space, you know, that, that leads to a deeper connection. Uh, and this is sort of what you're touching on. It's I, yeah. And, and it's interesting when I, um, in different parts of my life, I've had difficult moments and then, um, uh, people have said, go see a therapist and, um, go through this type of therapy or that type of therapy. And, um, and when I'm in those situations, I think, wow, this is similar to this ceremony or this thing at home where they're reenacting or recreating the world. And in the process of recreating the world in the ceremony, you are being recreated, and it's not fixing the illness, but it's recreating you to a, a new human being so that you're strong enough to fight the illness or fight or maybe not fight, but work with and solve the problem at hand. And and then in, in like psychodrama, they're reenacting how to talk with maybe um in, in one situation, it was my grandfather had passed and I felt like I wanted to say, I missed out on saying a lot of things to him that I wish I could have said. And then in this psychodrama, we, I got to assign all the people like, you're my grandfather, you're this, and then you're going to say this, and I'm going to say this. And, and we reenacted it all. And I thought, wow, this is just like a ceremony at home. And, and then I started to think, well, the ceremonies from home have been happening for like, thousands of years, indigenous uh, ceremonies, and and they were fixing or recreating different aspects of life. And um, so we were on to like fixing things mentally and accessing different things in such a beautiful way through song, dance, art making, all of those things are part of many indigenous societies that help access different parts of, of who we are. And, and I think that in a way, I guess some people would say, wow, that's pretty haunting or just out otherworldly. And, and I just say, I think it's more about just being really in touch with our surroundings and with ourselves. When I was little, I had a lot of nightmares and, um, and I didn't, we didn't, we had ceremonies and different things to try to combat the nightmares that I had. And I would wake up screaming at night and sweating and, and really afraid. And I, and since a really young age. And so, and there were lots of theories within my community and outside of the community of why this was happening to me. So from a very young age, I was reading books about dreaming. I was reading books about 
how to maneuver through all of that. And so I guess in, in, a, in a way, the direction of this conversation is trying to reach out to people like in those scary moments of how to, um, how I've managed to get myself through to this point in my life and not let the inner demons or the scary nightmares or the scary moment, like just overcome me. And so I, so anyhow, when I'm, when I'm approaching the subject matter, I thought, well, if somebody's really dealing or thinking about this, then maybe I could share something kind of a scary story and how I handled it. And, um, and then how I approach, uh, quote unquote, scary moments in life. <laughs> it's funny. I have a, a good friend in New Mexico who, um, I guess it was in the nineties. She would watch a lot of scary movies and I'd say to her, how can you watch these scary movies? Like you're always watching scary movies. And she said to me, she said, they're not scary though. I said, what do you mean? And she said, the monsters always have a reason for why they are the way they are. And she said, I'm really fascinated by why they do what they're doing, because there's usually a core at why they're upset. And, and if, if we can meet the monsters at that place, um, it, she said, I also feel sorry for them and I connect with them because of the pain they're in and why they're acting out. Eric Williams reflects on an incident that happened at a farmhouse when he was a child. In 1980, my family moved into our farmhouse located three miles north of Lake Traverse at the uh, Jim Crick intersection. And they moved in. Uh, a fam family had previously lived in there and left a lot of things and then they'd moved out. Well, when they moved in, they noticed lots of toys and lots of strange items sitting around. And one of those strange items was a Ouija board. And my grandmother told us to get rid of it, get rid of it, not to um, keep it around. So we had a, a fire, they had a f trash fire and they threw a bunch of things into it. Well, the kids like, ah, let's just, you know, throw everything away. They threw in the trash, the junk, whatever. And they threw in the Ouija board. Well, the Ouija board came back and they found it back in the upstairs of the barn. And none of the kids admitted to, to pulling it out of the fire, <laughs> but my mom was quite upset about that. So they disposed of it again. And that was the last I ever heard of the story. Um, skip ahead to 1991. Uh, I was around 10 years old and I just gotten home from school and, you know, mom was usually waiting for me at home and it was a really nice October-ish fall kind of day, September, October in that time of the year, it was still warm out. Uh, you know, you didn't need your coat and you didn't need a lot of uh, like bundling up or anything like that. It was a really nice time of year. So you, you run home, you just kind of sit down, you, you usually shed your clothes off. I, I didn't do any of that. I ran in the house. I just sat down on the couch. You know, I, I threw my book bag down, whatever. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I remember turning on the TV and the TV was right by the front, what we call the front room, the front window. And this window faces east toward a area of the, of the home site there. We call the basketball court. So in the front area, there's a road, there's a county road, then there's two lines of uh, shelter belt trees, what we called the basketball court, and then we had a, a pathway that came up to the house. So you could clearly see out to the road. So I'm sitting there, 
you know, warm, warm day, didn't have to take off jacket or any of that kind of stuff. Threw my book bag down. I sat down on the couch and I'm sitting there. My mom's in the next room. She's in the, in the, in the, uh, dining room. And I was like, oh, I wonder if mom's going to get some cereal down from the shelf or whatever. So I was just sitting there thinking about it. And I remember yelling at my mom. I was like, Hey mom, um, can you get down some of the cereal, like off the fridge or whatever? I'm going to come and grab a bowl, bowl of cereal quick. And as I turned back to look out the window, there was a man walking up. Clear as day. Clear as day. Clear as I'm talking to you and telling the story now. There was a man walking up from the basketball court. It was a dirt court, a pathway through some uh, lilac bushes. And I'm like, who's that? And I, I literally like looked and I had to uh, really focus myself. Who, like, who's this? Like walking up here. And I remember yelling, hey, mom, there's a man walking up from the basketball court. And I remember she clearly exclaimed, like, what? I turn around to look back and there's nothing there the, where the man was standing. I was like, hey, he's not there anymore. And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, there's a man standing outside in the uh, along the pathway here. So we go outside. We both look. There was nothing. I mean, it was just a nice, calm you know, three thirty, four o'clock afternoon, October time, quiet, leaves falling, you know. Well, we look around the house, there was nothing. And I'm like, he was clearly there. There was a man clearly standing there. He was walking and he stopped right by the bushes. And I'll never forget, the man was wearing a overalls. He had a brown shirt on. Um, it looked flannel, like, and maybe some red pattern in the flannel. And his face, I couldn't make out the guy's face. And I'm like, I remember for years, like, what is this? Well, <clears throat> no explanation to that situation. We never figured out what that was. We told uh, my dad, you know, everything. We were kind of on edge for a day or two. It's really strange for somebody to walk up in your yard. Our neighbors were a mile in each direction. There was nobody around that would just randomly walk up. Now, we had that happen a few times. You know, we'd have people come up and ask for help in the wintertime or whatever, but this was in the middle of the day. It was very strange. Some of the stories got a little stranger after I got a little older and started asking questions. A, a few years before that, this was in around 1987 or 88, um, my sister heard footsteps in that house upstairs. Like they came out of nowhere and the footsteps were just loud. And then Around 1985, we had temporarily, we moved out of the house for a season. So my dad stayed out there by himself. And I found out later on that dad didn't like staying out there. And they were, he was constantly hearing things in the house. And there was footsteps. There was noises. There were people that he thought you know, would come in the yard when he was working out in the garage. There was nobody there. So I don't know what those explanations, I don't have any explanation for what those things were. But I always trace it back to what grandma said back in 1980, uh, leave that Ouija board alone. So I don't know if the kids messed with it or if they did something with it or <laughs> what happened, but there was some strange happenings at the house. Now that house was home to me. That house was very cozy. It was very warmth. I always felt okay there, but every once in a while there was something odd that would happen. The girls, one of the girls made a room in the basement. They didn't last down there very long because it was just a creepy basement. Uh, there was an attic 
to the house that I never got to go into. So there was one thing in that home I never got to experience was the attic. But I always asked my sister, well, did those footsteps come from the attic or did they come from the second floor? We'll never know. The house was torn down in 1995 or six or so, torn down, burned down. It's nothing but an empty field now. But I've always wanted to go back out there some October evening and just park and just watch that yard and just see if anything happens. And that does it for Five Scary Questions 2023. I want to thank all of our guests for taking the time and sharing very personal and very true stories of what they have experienced. It takes a lot of courage to go through what they've gone through, and even more so to share their stories. And so I want to thank them in sharing these experiences. I also want to thank you for taking your time to listen to these amazing and astonishing stories. And remember, what you've experienced, if you've experienced anything, if you're lucky enough, something that others may have too. And also, don't be afraid to explore what some of these things are. It's a big, scary world out there, and it's worth exploring. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you next time. Or someone will. This has been an Eleven Warrior Arts production. The scariest story I have is waking up in my house one morning and just not having coffee. That would be this that would be really scary.